The Remedy for Self-Affliction, on this edition of Truth and Love. I'm Dale Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions for the problems that people face. And this week on the podcast, I am excited that uh, one of my former pastors, Brian Gaines, is going to be with us. Brian is the pastor of Family Discipleship at Grace Community Church in Glen Rose, Texas. He regularly teaches um, and equips parents uh, in their church. He also works in their student ministry. He leads adult care groups. Uh, he helps to oversee much of the curriculum that's taught uh, there. He leads the Grace Biblical Counseling Center, the center at the church. They're a certified uh, training center with us here at ACBC. He's also a certified biblical counselor uh, with ACBC as well. So, so delighted that Brian is here with us. Uh, Sam Stevens, our director of training center certification, was able to sit down with him and, and talk about this important subject of self-harm, self-affliction. And I love the way that they're describing this to talk about how uh, Christ's affliction in that language becomes a good remedy for the way we think about self-affliction or self-harm. So join me as we listen in on this very important topic, talking about self-harm and self-affliction and what the Scriptures give as remedy to those difficult situations. Brian, thanks for joining us at this episode, Christ's Affliction as the Remedy for Self-Affliction. I think maybe some of our listeners may not be familiar with that term, self-affliction, uh, can you give us a definition, maybe a working definition of that term, and maybe some examples of what that may look like? Sure. Yeah, so self-affliction is, in essence, self-harm, self-injury. Um, it's doing intentional damage to your body, um, commonly referred to as NSSI, non-suicidal self-injury. And so some examples of this, um, and probably the main example people hear about is cutting. Mm. About 80% of those who self-harm um, have at some point cut is the statistics on that. Um, another example would be hitting or punching oneself. Um, sometimes somebody will take a hammer and hit their body, uh, sometimes even breaking bones. I had one counselee who literally hit his head on the desk so hard that he knocked himself out. And so those are, are some of the forms. Uh, others that are somewhat common would be burning, um, also hair pulling. And Keith Palmer actually did a great right. uh, episode with y'all on on that. Um, others that would be probably classified in self-harm be eating disorders, um, anorexia, bulimia, um, and I would even put substance abuse in the category of self-harm as well. In your experience as, as a minister, are there any types of people who would be likely to struggle with self-affliction that, that you're kind of, I don't know, would, would, would uh, maybe come to mind that you would see as, yeah, they would be more prone to this than others? Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, so big picture, statistically, um, about 3 to 38%. And so, again, the statistics all all over the place as far as who actually self-harms. Um, but a pretty good number of the population would do that. Within that, most of those would be adolescents or young adults. And so that's where the majority of it takes place. But not always. Even this past week, um, I had somebody share with me that a loved one, um, struggled with anorexia and got to the point where all she consumed as far as a food substance was alcohol. And um, as a result of that, her body ended up shutting down 
Um, and after two days in the hospital, she actually died from it. And so she was in her 60s. And so it's not just um, something that young people do. It, it can be across the board. I guess as far as who as well, um, typically it's those who have known affliction um, or been abused, usually earlier on in life. And so uh, my experience has been that those who have been verbally or physically abused um, as they're growing up, maybe they're, they're told they're unwanted or they're just made to feel unwanted. Um, those who have been sexually abused. And so, you know, again, this is a universal problem. This isn't just something that happens in the United States, so maybe more prevalent here. But uh, twice a year, our church goes down to Guatemala. We work with a home there for children and, and young people and all sorts of instances of, of self-abuse there. Um, we'll have uh, people who come in who uh, were just as infants left in the dumpster, mm. found by somebody else. And um, those who, um, I guess, for instance, we had one lady come into the home and her face had been burned. In fact, her whole body had been burned. I just saw her face. And she, uh, in asking the story, what had happened is she was basically made to be a, a sex slave to somebody and he burned her so that she wouldn't be desirable to anybody else and also so that everybody would know who his girl was. And so she was rescued from that and brought to this home. Um, others, they come into the home down there, their heads are shaved, and that is a symbol that they are basically a sex slave and belong to somebody else. And so they're rescued out of that and they come in and all that pain, many of those girls, 11, uh, 12, 13, 14, several of those girls come in pregnant. And they're pregnant by somebody who has abused them. And so those are some common examples of people who would be perhaps more inclined to self-harm. So you had mentioned several different things and, of course, maybe a history of abuse and, and those types of treatments, which are just hard to listen to, frankly. But mm-hmm. in addition to those, what other th- factors maybe would compel someone to engage in this type of behavior? Okay. Yeah, and so I think big, big picture. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so we all do what we do because of what we want, um, or we seek to get away from what we don't want. Um, and in this, ultimately, is is worship. Um, and so some examples of that to try to tie this in, you think of Elijah there on Mount Carmel where he challenges the prophets of Baal, 450 of them. They come in and they seek to um, have their God, Baal, bring down the fire on the altar. Um, after hours of doing this, uh, obviously no success. Elijah begins to mock them and taunt them. And First Kings 18, uh, 28 says, they then cut themselves as was their custom. And so self-harm ultimately is, is rooted um, in uh, idolatry, not looking to the one true God where there is true hope. And so as we, as we think about that, um, they, they look to an idol that was powerless, an idol that was made by the hands of, of man. 
um, and there was no real hope there. And so instead of running to God, um, these people will run to other things, trying to find some help. And so what compels them? Second Corinthians 5.14, uh, Paul there says, For the love of Christ compels us or controls us, depending on your translation there. Um, and so rather than being compelled by the love of Christ, looking to him, savoring who he is, knowing their satisfaction, their joy, all that he is, rather they're compelled or controlled by their thoughts and their emotions. And so that is uh, pretty standard. They're, they're compelled to listen to the lies they've been told, the lies they've told themselves, and their emotions flare up. And as a result of that, um, they then seek to escape those things, and they seek to do so, obviously, um, by, by self-harm. Um, this pattern, and it usually becomes a pattern, um, rather than looking to Christ as they, as they ought to, um, they want to get away as quick as they can from these emotions, which are, are horrific, um, given what, what has taken place in many of their lives. And they respond uh, to these emotions with, with self-harm. That then brings a sense of relief. To get away from these emotional thoughts that are so hard to deal with, the physical pain helps distract them from that. And sometimes there's even, in, in harming yourself, there's a physiological response um, where chemicals are released, and I don't know all the medical terminology in that, but you actually feel better physically. There's kind of this rush. Um, and so they feel better. It, it worked, so to speak. Uh, but afterwards, there's this guilt that then takes place, and then they, they know they shouldn't do it. It's not right, but it felt right. And so the next time that stressor, that memory, whatever it is, comes back that uh, would prompt them again to do something about it, rather than looking to Christ, they again go back into that cycle. And so it becomes enslaving. So 1 Corinthians 6, 12, um, Paul says, we're not to be mastered by, by anything, but they seeking to get control in their own lives by bringing harm to themselves and bringing their emotions back into check, in essence, become controlled um, by this behavior. Yeah. Would you say in a sense that uh, attempts at self-harm in one way or another are just, again, attempts to reimagine the image of God and man? We're now creating our, ourselves in our own image in a sense. We're trying to mar that image even further through our actions and behaviors? Or do you think there's a relationship there? Yeah, I think going all the way back to Genesis 3, um, where the serpent came and, and tempted Eve and Adam there um, to doubt God's goodness. And as a result of that and their sin, that has been the, the plight of mankind ever since. Um, we were created to glorify God. Um, we were created to represent Him. And yet because of the sin in this world, the suffering that's inflicted upon us, uh, but then also because of the inherent sin um, that is there, um, we struggle to to know the joy and the purpose that God intends for us to have being made in His image. And so, yeah, all these things are basically a God replacement. Rather than looking to God and seeking to reflect His image and His glory and His goodness in our lives, um, there is, again, kind of that idol that they're after where they seek to find what only God can provide. I think uh, Augustine said it well, our hearts remain restless until they rest in God. And I think self-harm is kind of an extreme illustration of that. That's a great way to think about it. Uh, to bring it back down to a, a practical level for our listeners, uh, again, some pretty intimidating stuff or maybe things that are unfamiliar to some of our lis listeners. Could you perhaps give us a few uh, things to think through about how to actually counsel someone who self-harms? Yeah, and so I think as with any counseling session, uh, the first thing we want to do is gather data, right? Um, so James one nineteen says, be quick 
to listen, slow um, to speak, um, and slow to become angry. And so what we want to do when somebody comes who's self-harming is really seek to listen and understand um, we can't possibly know all that they've been through and gone through. They can try to explain it, uh, but to really get to know them. And so, for instance, if if a teenage daughter um, is caught or confesses perhaps to her dad that she's been self-harming, you know, the dad may be confused. He may be angry. Um, he may say something like, you know, that was really stupid. Stop it. Um, that's not going to be helpful. Um, and so what we want to do in response, Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth. In love, we want to seek to understand what is going on in their heart. Um, what are their thought patterns that would have led them to do this? And so, again, rather than being compelled um, by the love of Christ, they're compelled by these thoughts, these lies. Um, practically, to help them, we want to help them think about truth. And so, Philippians four eight, um, whatever is pure, lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, um, think on these things. And that is certainly want to help them do that. Second Corinthians 10, 5 says, take captive every thought. And so we want to know what are the thoughts they're thinking that leads them to that self-harm. We want to identify those and we want to replace those lies, whether I, I must do this, I have to do this, I need to have relief, and this is the way to do it. I'm all alone in this struggle. Whatever those things are, we want to help them look to Jesus in the midst of every single one of those struggles. And so a typical lie would be self-affliction um, is necessary for relief. And, and they can really believe that. This is it. This is the only thing that works. I don't know where else to go. And yet Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, um, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is rest. Um, there is ultimately relief. There is peace. There is purpose in Jesus. You know, another lie they would struggle with is that it's necessary to regain control. And so their life may feel like it has been out of control. People have controlled them as far as what's been done to them. Um, but to, to realize ultimately they don't need to regain control in their own strength and their own wisdom. They need to rather look to the God um, who is sovereign over all things, who is in control. And so Joseph, while he, as far as we know, didn't self-harm, um, he was imprisoned and falsely accused um, and the conclusion of the matter for him is what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And so to help them look to God and his providence and his wisdom. And ultimately we know, um, as Paul said in Romans eight twenty eight, that all things work together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And that good is that God would use even the sufferings and the afflictions that we have, our own struggles, um, to become more like Christ. And so to help them to see that through God's word. Yeah, another common lie, I guess, is there's no real hope for change. You know, life has been hard all along. I have not responded to this well. I have tried to break free of this cycle. There's been guilt in the cycle, and I, I just can't do it. Well, in one sense, it's good they realize that they just can't do it mm-hmm. uh, because they need to look to Christ. Apart from Him, John fifteen five, we can do nothing. Uh, Philippians four thirteen, in Him, in His strength, we're able to do um, what is, is pleasing to Him. And I think also as, as far as hope, because people who self-harm, um, there's very little to no hope. Um, but they need to be taken to passages like First Peter 1 and told about the living hope. Because Christ, who was harmed, not 
in his own self-affliction, but who was harmed by others, put to death upon a rugged cross, because he conquered sin and death and resurrected. There's a living hope because he is now at the Father's right hand. He is our advocate. He is our high priest. Um, He is the propitiation for our sins. And so it is in Christ that we're freed from the the guilt of sin that that perhaps they have committed in the act of self-harm, but also they can know um, how to forgive because um, Christ has forgiven us as well. And so in Christ, in the gospel, is everything that they need. We need to point them um, to Christ. Now, I think that brings up one more lie. Um, No one understands. I'm, I'm all alone in this. And because of that lie, that belief, they will often um, do this in secret. Um, anywhere from a church bathroom to a playground in the corner, wherever they can go, usually after they've gotten in this pattern, they have the means to harm themselves with them or they know where to go get it. They feel they're all alone. Uh, but again, that's a lie because in Christ we are never alone. He never leaves us as his children. He never forsakes us. Um, Psalm 23, a great place to go and camp out. Um, He makes us lie down um, in green pastures and beside still waters, but also he is with us through through the dark valleys, to the valley of the shadow of death. His rod and his staff, they uphold us. And so to know, as Jesus said, I am the good shepherd, um, that he is with them, he is for them. He who began a good work will bring it to completion. He is the author and perfecter of their faith. And because of him, they can um, resist this urge, these emotions, and the more they focus in on Christ and who he is, those affections, those emotions then begin to compel them that they would no longer harm themselves, but they would look to him who was harmed for their sake. Well, Brian, thank you for helping us to see this very difficult uh, matter through a a beautiful lens, through the the sufferings of Christ and who he is as our Lord and Shepherd. I know our listeners appreciate it, and so do we. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. And I know the information that was given just now would be very helpful for so many of you. Uh, This is such an, an increasing dynamic that we see happening in the culture in which you and I live in. Uh, that many more people are struggling with these uh, ideas of self-harm and and they're engaging in this type of self-affliction. I want to encourage you, Brian was able to give a breakout session on this very topic at our most recent annual conference uh, back in 2019. And so that uh, conference breakout session is available on our website to you. Then you can hear the full lecture to get a more uh, full picture of how Christ's affliction Uh, helps us to understand in context and helps us to pursue remedy for these issues of self-harm. So I want to invite you to look up that resource and other resources like that that can be helpful in these issues of self-harm. Find it at our website, biblicalcounseling.com.